Hello, this is Dr. Ken Spiegelman, your host of Pediatric Podcast Pearls, and welcome. Today, we are so happy and privileged to have Dr. Jeffrey Thompson from our Department of Orthopedics uh, come and talk to us about common ankle and foot problems. These are issues that not only affect our kids, but they affect all of us. So it's so applicable to everybody on a daily basis. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you so much for all the wonderful consultation that your department provides for us. Thank you, good morning. Okay, thanks. So I'm gonna start off with just some common problems. As I said, we're gonna take a dive ankle deep. We could probably talk for five podcasts on this. Well, let's start with a common one that we often see in our office, which is about approximately about the 10 year old who just rolled his, his or her ankle playing basketball, comes into our office at 4.30 with significant swelling on the lateral aspect of the uh, ankle and is hobbling in. Could you review from us things that we should uh, certainly look for, uh, tests that we should do and follow up in treatment? Okay, yeah, it's a real common situation. Um, one way to, uh, well, the first thing you want to try to do is differentiate, is there a broken bone, is there a fracture versus an ankle sprain is probably the, the first question. And the Ottawa ankle rules um, were designed by emergency room physicians in Ottawa to try to decrease the number of ankle x-rays. And one of their criteria, criteria is their bony tenderness along the posterior aspect of the distal fibula or the medial malleolus for a distance of up to six centimeters from the tip of the medial mal or the tip of the fibula. I, I kind of just make it easier. I just say if there's any bony tenderness, significant bony tenderness, that, that's one indication to get an x-ray. You also want to make sure the patient is unable to weight bear on the foot or ankle um, and they can't take four steps. So if somebody comes into your office with significant bony tenderness and they can't walk on it, that's just a nice nice scenario to get an x-ray. On the other hand, if the kid kind of rolled his ankle, popped it, and kind of walked off the basketball court himself, and then his ankle kind of swelled up, it kind of hurts, and he walks into your office, and most of the tenderness is anterior to the distal fibula, where the anterior talofibular ligament resides. You know, if his tenderness is soft tissue and he's walking on it, you probably don't need an x-ray. X-ray. So that's, you know, so the first thing is try to decide, is this a broken bone, is it a fracture, or is it a sprain? Um, now, let's let's run down the sprain uh, pathway. Um, this is somebody who, uh, well, well, let me rephrase. There are three grades of ankle sprain, grade one, two, three, sort of a mild, medium, mild, and severe. And one way to look at this is the kid is playing basketball, they roll their ankle, they may even feel a little bit of a pop or something, but they keep on playing. They keep on trying to play, but they go, you know what? This isn't working for me. I'm, I, I, got, I better stop playing. And they kind of get themselves off the basketball court. And that's a major problem is these kids just keep on playing and yeah. uh, they don't want to take themselves off. Well, so if, they, if they're able to walk after rolling their ankle, it's probably a grade one ankle sprain, which will heal on its own, really. You could probably just have maybe ace wrap it, uh, you know, crutches if necessary. It probably doesn't need referral, but if you want to send it to us, of course, we're happy to see the patient. But it probably doesn't absolutely need referral because a grade one ankle sprain within about two weeks, the kid will be back to back to playing. 
The next scenario is a kid playing basketball, rolls around or volleyball, whatever sport it is, rolls their ankle. They fall down, uh, but they sort of get themselves off the field. But they, the kid falls down and clearly knows they can't play. They may need a little bit of assistance to get themselves off the field. They can put some weight on the ankle, but they really can't put full, full weight on it. I would call that a grade two. And a grade two, again, is something that's going to heal okay on its own, typically. That kid maybe needs four weeks of activity restrictions. The grade one sprain needs about two weeks. The grade two sprain, about four weeks of restrictions. And then you'll see that they'll probably be able to get themselves back on the field. Does physical therapy, excuse me, ever come into play in the grade two or threes? Uh, and the reason I ask is that we run into the, I've run into the issue with the pressure of the parents. These uh, sports seasons are so short, eight weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks. There's all this pressure to get the kid back into the sport again. And we try to pull yep. back on the reins. So does physical therapy ever speed up this process at all? Physical therapy can be very helpful. Uh, one, for alleviating the parents' concerns. Uh, number two, providing more guidance to the patient. Uh, the therapists are wonderful. You know, they'll walk them through the whole process. They'll even tell you when the kid's ready to return to play. So one option, just send these kids to PT, you know, is one option. Um, and then, like I said, they can guide the whole process. And ultimately, I'll talk about a return to play criteria. When the kid can sit, actually stand, on one leg, on the affected leg, and jump up and down five times without pain, they are good to go, in my opinion. And I, I use that return-to-play criteria for hip injuries, knee injuries, ankle and foot injuries. So when they can single-leg hop on the affected leg five times without pain, they are good to go. Is so it your opinion that many of the coaches and trainers have that same viewpoint? Uh, coaches, I really can't comment. I, I, I'd be... What I run into is the coaches don't know what to do with an injury. You know, right. They just you know when can the kid come back and play. The therapist okay. on the other hand will be much more tuned into the kid and their recovery, and they can do their own assessment. I have, you know, my, it's a very simple assessment. I do it in the office all the time. Um, I've even done it on the field when I cover games too. Um, you know, so that covers the grade one ankle sprains. Like I said, they roll their ankle, they walk off the court, they maybe try to play a little bit. About two weeks, they'll be back playing and now all these kids will have tenderness over the soft tissue they won't have bony tenderness that we talked about over the distal fibula or the medial malleolus and now the grade three ankle sprain these kids roll their ankle you often hear a pop everybody in the court kind of hears it the kid doesn't get up at all and basically has to be carried off the field um, that's your grade three grade three ankle sprain scenario or an ankle fracture scenario now, assuming this kid with a bad sprain has soft tissue tenderness only, again, you can treat them non-operatively or, or, or just uh, send them to PT. If you want, the other thing to do, and I've had parents do this, they can get the kid what's called a fracture boot. It looks like a big, it looks like a ski boot. It's like a removable cast. They can put them in this thing. It'll help them mobilize the ankle, get them crutches, and off they go. Uh, I had a dad recently did this for his daughter. He was a fireman. And his daughter hurt her ankle in volleyball, uh, was unable to walk on it, uh, got off the court. And he just ran over to the local drugstore, got the fracture boot and crutches, and had her use it for a week. But after a week, he realized it was too swollen, wasn't good. And she came in, it was a fracture, of course. But she was tender over the bone. Do uh, air casts, how about the use of air casts? 
Uh, the ear cast is a stirrup splint, the stirrup side. It comes right. up. Over them. I don't really like those. I, I get a lot of rejection from the kids on those things. They're not cool looking. Uh, they don't really provide a ton of support Good in my point. opinion. There's this thing called a fracture, uh, well, a fracture boot or a cam boot, C-A-M, cam boot. And you can get them at uh, the drugstores typically. Um, and it's, again, it's like a removable cast. And it provides much more secure uh, fixation for the ankle. It also protects the ankle at school from other kids kicking it and hurting the kid. Okay. Jeff, how about swelling on the medial inside of the ankle yes, after yeah. an injury? Okay, so again, back to the Ottawa ankle rules. If they're tender along the posterior aspect of the medial malleolus and the distal tibia for a distance of six centimeters proximal to the tip of the medial mal, uh, is the Ottawa ankle rules for tenderness. And then if they're unable to wait there or they're unable to take four steps, they, they meet the criteria to get an x-ray. Um, the medial tenderness is a, li a little more rare than lateral, lateral involvement. Um, you can see a navicular fracture sometimes, but that would be tenderness over the navicular bone. Right. Um, uh, but I would treat the medial side sprain slash injury much the same as I do with the lateral side. Okay, super, Jeff. Thank you. So I'm going to switch over to a very common issue that uh, all of us have known about, probably from growing up. When I grew up, uh, two of the... Uh, things that my parents always concentrated on was the need for braces and the fact that you had flat feet. So uh, they would take us to the special sh shoe store, fit us with ridiculously structured shoes that we hated. And uh, that was the way most of us grew up. And believe it or not, it's a common issue. Parents come in and say, my child's feet are flat. Could you tell us a little bit about the difference between flexible and rigid flat feet and how we should approach them. Sure. So first of all, it's not uncommon to have a flat foot uh, up until at least age three, even age four, five, or six. The The normal foot doesn't really get its adult contours until about, about as late as age six. So one thing, it's very common to have a flat foot, and it, it may be more of a fat foot, although I hesitate to use the word fat these days. Somebody will say I'm body shaming or something. I guess we should edit that out. But um, um, very common to have a, a, a flat foot up until age three. And it's usually just because the fat pad under the arch is present. Um, so real common. The other thing is that shoes don't make a normal foot. Shoes do not create an arch. The parents' genetics create or do not create the arch. You know, so it does not come from the shoe. So wearing a special shoe does not create an arch. Nonetheless, yeah, a lot of parents want some arch support or something. Um, I, I will confess I have a relatively low threshold to, to give an arch support if the parents really want it. And to me, there are three grades of arch supports. The first grade is where you go to the drugstore and uh, some places even have that little computer that you stand on and it tells right. you what arch support you need. Uh, you can also just buy one off the shelf from those drugstores and you'll spend 20, 30, maybe as much as $40 for those things. Usually they don't, there's no harm, no foul. They, those little arch supports never hurt anybody. They're not terribly expensive. The second type is a more sports related one. You can get these at the, at the, uh, the running stores, at the higher end shoe stores. Um, you can get these things. I don't know if I'm allowed to use a 
trade name or something. Um, but but they're out there. Um, uh, and the third type is the custom made type. Uh, these are where you go to a physician's office, doctor's office, and they make them for you. Uh, the problem with the custom-made orthotics that cost, you know, $500, $600 is that they don't really work. They don't really do anything for you. Furthermore, there was a study done comparing the off-the-shelf type versus the custom-made, and there was no difference between, between patient satisfaction when you compared the ones off-the-shelf versus the custom-made. Interesting. So I really, I really resist the parents going out and get a custom-made type because it just really, it's a waste of money, and it's a lot of money. So you can buy the ones at the local drugstore off the shelf, 20, 30, maybe 40 bucks. You can go to a physical therapist and get theirs. The physical therapist often will tell you what to get. And you're probably spending about a hundred bucks, 125 for those or so. Um, uh, there's a brand called Superfeet that's real popular. Uh, there's another company called Cascade that makes these things and you don't spend a fortune. Whereas I really try to tell people not to get the custom orthotics. But in general, parents don't have to do much at all. Because correct. The correct. child will be fine. Child will be fine. My kids wore whatever Disney movie occurred the year before because my wife would go out to the local store like um, Marshall's or TJ Maxx right. and buy the, the year-old shoe. So my poor kids were always a year behind in whatever Disney movie was out. In, in fact, well, years ago, I read a study that looked at countries where the kids couldn't even afford shoes. So they were barefoot and they looked at their incidence of foot problems. And there were no greater than ours where we had every fancy shoe known to mankind. So thank you. This is very, very helpful. Let's move up to the, since we have limited time to the heel, the track star, the soccer player, who's starting their season um, and within one or two weeks starts to complain of severe heel pain. Yeah, so that's a classic setup for Seaver's disease or calcaneal apophysitis. Um, the tip of the heel has a growth plate. And as the kids run a lot, they can get an overuse injury to that area. Uh, and they'll have pain with running. And if you just tap or percuss the tip of the heel, the kid will say that's usually where it hurts or they hurt along the medial aspect at the tip of the heel and you can push on your thumb there. They should have normal range of motion of the subtalar joint of the forefoot and midfoot and ankle. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll have a very flexible foot, but they'll have that heel pain, the percussion. Um, some of the kids, if you try to have them heel walk in the office, they'll say that hurts as well. And things you can do there, number one would be, um, uh, Motrin, Advil, Aleve, something like that, an anti-inflammatory as needed. Uh, the other thing is um, have the parents spend money on the on the cleats that have three or four cleats on the heel versus a, other brands often just have two cleats at the heel. Interesting. a little more money, you'll find that it's more padded. It's a little better made shoe. Uh, there, are all, there are things you can buy, again, at the drugstore. You can get a heel cup or you can get a, a heel a wedge that's padded. Uh, there's a company out there and they have a red dot in the middle of their little heel pad is their trademark. And they're, they're pretty good. Um, you can send them to physical therapy for stretching. Uh, they can try icing the area. You can, again, give them Motrin Advil or leave about an hour before a game, not after the game, but before. 
Um, the problem with calcaneal apophysitis, it doesn't go away overnight. My kid tried for years to make the travel team. He finally made the travel team. And just like you said, his heel pain flared up. But uh, we, we got him through it, but it lasted, you know, that part of a year. So, so there's I, nothing wrong with playing through it then. As nothing you wrong with playing through it. Um, and what I did for him, you know, how when the kids get to practice and they take three laps around the field. Of course. I had him not do that. I had him do sit-ups and push-ups. And the coach was okay with it. So yeah. that so just try to limit the amount of running. Now you do have to be careful with a potential stress fracture of the heel, something like that. Uh, that'll be in a little bit older kid, usually in high school. The calcaneal apophysitis is the uh, fourth grader, fifth grader, sixth grader, whereas a stress fracture of the heel is going to be more your high schooler. You may want to get an X-ray on that high school athlete that has a lot of heel pain because it could be a stress fracture. And then lastly, if the kid has pain at night, that's a sign to get an X-ray too. That's something right. something like this. I know that's a conversation in, at a different time, but I've been told that stress fractures are very difficult to pick up on X-ray, and you sometimes need an MRI. Is that correct? That is true. Um, but if you if you look carefully for it, you can sometimes see it. You know, the classic thing of the the stress fracture is they start a running activity where they haven't been doing much. They haven't done a lot of preseason conditioning is, is one of the things. Um, so I try to encourage my parents to do that preseason conditioning of their kids. Okay, super. You know, one last thing about uh, Severs disease is I always was reluctant to use the word Severs disease, but just <laughs> the fact of disease sort of promoted this feeling that it was very serious with the parents. I wish they actually that they did not call it that, but... Uh, yeah. Named, named after Dr. Severs, so we have to. So let me move down the foot a little bit more to toes. Uh, again, I can use myself growing up. If ever your parents felt that you had a fractured toe, it was just taped to the adjoining toe, and that was the end of it. Could you uh, just talk to us, since it's a common entity, we see kids come in, we often get x-rays, and I know one has to make sure that whether it's a small toe, but there's a big difference if you have a fracture of your big toe or if you have a, a break in the nail bed, if you could address some of those issues. Right. So the, the kid will come in there, you know, they're running, chasing after their sibling and they catch their foot on the side of the couch or the coffee table is the scenario. Um, and typically fractured toes, we, we don't do much for them unless there's really obvious deformity or the bone has penetrated the skin or the other situation, as you mentioned, the nail bed is lifted up and and the toe's fractured. So if you ever see a toe injury and they have blood and there's blood involved under the nail or around the nail, that's probably actually an open fracture that probably should go to the emergency room. We'll probably need antibiotics or something. It's called a Seymour fracture is what the name is. And it's where the nail bed gets lifted up and there's a fracture underneath. Oftentimes the nail bed will kind of go back to where it belongs but you'll see the blood around the nail. So that's the tip off for that injury. Um, let's say the kid though comes in, no blood, no hematoma under the nail, uh, no obvious deformity, no, no skin issues, but the reading is a, a toe fracture, right? Assault linear, it's a linear non-dislocated fracture. Yeah, and it doesn't go into the joint, a fracture that doesn't go into the joint. Um, and it's often a salt Harris two type fracture. Uh, we we will buddy tape those and let the kid do whatever they can to tolerance. The only thing on buddy taping, 
make sure you put a little bit of cotton in between the toes or the fingers if you're doing the fingers. A little bit of cotton because if you just simply buddy tape the two toes together and leave it, the skin will macerate between those two toes. Whereas if you have a small piece of cotton, whether it's toilet paper, Kleenex, um, uh, towel paper or something, it doesn't really matter what it is, something to absorb the sweat a little bit. But I would let them play. The one you got to watch out for, as you mentioned earlier, is a great toe fracture, especially a great toe fracture that goes into the joint. That's a different animal. That should see an orthopedic, orthopedic surgeon. Okay. How about the metatarsal fractures? Should we be able to handle those primary care simple metatarsal fractures, or should those all mandate a referral? And what should be the treatment that we should offer? So if it's a non-displaced metatarsal fracture with no significant shortening or no significant angulation, I think it can be handled uh, by a pediatrician um, quite easily. Um, you would put them in a fracture boot, just have them you know, walk, walk carefully in it. Uh, non-displaced one should heal. You know, it'll take six weeks for it to heal. And then when the kid can jump up and down in that foot without pain, you're good to go. Um, the more common injury is the fifth metatarsal fractures. Uh, as long as they're minimally displaced, non-displaced injuries that are, that are at the base of the fifth metatarsal, those can be handled in the office. Again, a fracture boot, crutches, plus minus on the crutches. Uh, the kid will kind of limp a little bit, but they should heal okay. Okay, super. So let me uh, stay within the bottom of the foot, talk about a problem that I have had myself and I've seen in a number of more or less older teens who are track stars, which is plantar fasciitis, which I have never seen the ultimate treatment for. Uh, and it just takes time. Do you have any pearls for plantar fasciitis? Um, so this will be your high school athlete. I've, well, I, you do see it in kids, younger kids, but again, it's more of a calcaneal apophysitis issue. Uh, this is more the high school cross country runner a high school track star who's developing this. You just want to make sure it's not a stress fracture, of course, but if they're tender along the planta, plantar fascia, uh, that, that's a good sign that it's plantar fasciitis. Um, some people will, will try sleeping at nighttime in a little splint. They have these little splints that you can buy to keep the ankle at 90 degrees. Some people think by sleeping with your feet plantar flexed, you have a, you got, you're inducing cavus. So the first thing in the morning when you stand up, you stretch it and it hurts. So a nighttime little splint, and again, you can get these at the drugstore, can sometimes work. The next thing would be a stretching program. And this is where maybe having them see a physical therapist for a stretching program would be useful. Okay, super. And let me, I know you mentioned something called tarsal coalition. Could you talk a little bit about that? Probably a diagnosis that we don't make, but when we yeah, do so, realize it, we should know about it and the treatment. So this falls under the flat foot family, kids with flat feet. And whenever you see a kid with a flat feet, first thing you should try to distinguish is, is, is it flexible or is it rigid? Um, is it flexible or is it painful? So the flexible flat foot we talked about earlier, they'll do fine. They don't really need arch supports. Uh, those feet are fine. You can get into the army nowadays with flat feet. Uh, on the other hand, if they have a, a rigid foot, a rigid foot, that's a different story. And rigid and painful foot can be a sign of a tarsal coalition. And that's where two bones of the feet have grown together. I, I tell people the feet <clears throat> are a lot like the, the links of a bicycle chain. We got all these links because the, 
the feet have, you know, a lot of bones in the feet, 20 plus bones are in the feet. And when those bones grow together, instead of having that bicycle chain that goes easily around the sprocket, you suddenly have several links that are fused together. And you can imagine riding a bike with a fused chain and how awkward it would be. So these kids will present with a painful, stiff, rigid, flat foot. Um, what and, age do they usually present at? Uh, maybe as early as age 12 would be the earliest. Again, a little more of a high school phenomena, perhaps. Maybe, you know, late eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade. And they'll show up with a stiff, rigid, painful flat foot. It runs in families, can occur bilaterally. Um, it's very it's relatively common in the population. I think the incidence is about 3%. And there are probably a lot of people running out, running around. Maybe they're not running around, but a lot of people out there walking around with this, with these, uh, you know, these feet that are turned out. And typically, it makes your feet turn out, so you kind of walk like a duck with a with a foot that's kind of stiff and rigid. And it's usually a surgical treatment where we actually cut the abnormal connection between the two between the two bones, and the kids should expect a pretty good outcome from that. So it's something that we would only know with significant pain, get an X-ray, the X-ray diagnosis, and then we'll make the referral. Correct. Well, yeah. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today on Pediatric Podcast Pearls. You really left us with a lot of good pearls that'll help us take care of our kids and families with ankle and foot injuries. And again, thank you also for your colleagues and yourself, the consultation and the support that you've given us over the years. Uh, so we hope to see you soon or actually hear you soon in our next podcast a month from now. We wish you all well, and uh, you'll hear from us next month. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for having me. Okay. So